How many of you like great things? How many like great things? Not many of you like great things. It's not that hard to lift your hand. I wouldn't have done it either. But uh, how many of you like great How many like to garden? How many like to garden? Anybody like to garden? Okay. So th- th- this, there's two things that we've heard a lot about in this time of year, in the last few months, in the last few weeks particularly. Uh, just this word great, great in uh, politics, great in our government. I mean, even this morning, most of our songs we sang about the greatness of God. We talked about the greatness of God, and another thing that comes up a lot this year has been gardens because they've been so hard to get started and so much work to get going because of the, the, the enormous amount of rain. But in a sense, all of us, we, we all have, in a sense, God's given us all the garden. He created the earth as the perfect garden originally, and then he put man in the garden. And so in a sense, we all, have, we all, we all share part of this garden called the earth part of this. And since we're all gardeners, in a, in a sense, and we also have a plot of land, which is our lives, that we are also to garden, that you have great influence over. And this morning, I just simply want to do this halfway through a year. I simply want to remind us of and give you three great seeds that we've all been given and that we're called to plant. And I just want to bring them up. I want to hand them to you. I want to move some dirt a little bit, put a little water on it, and then just pray and see what God will do with it. The truth is, though, we live in a corrupted garden, don't we? we? We live in a garden that is not the way God originally designed it to be. And if you, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it constantly reminds us that we forget that. We, we think that this is the way it should be, and it thinks it should just go great for us. But that, that's not what the Bible says at all, and it's not what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us at all. And the world looks at this garden, this world that they're living in, their, their little plot of land, and they would say, after all the effort, it's just meaningless. It seems so meaningless. It, it just The sun comes up, the sun goes down, it just seems meaningless. And if we're not careful, if you're a follower of Christ, you can have that exact same attitude and so you need to keep going back to Ecclesiastes and being reminded that this is not the way it was supposed to be. And so when God gave us these great seeds, these three things we're going to talk about, when he, when he gave them to us to be planted and he, he handed them to us, he didn't give them to us in land or our lives that were perfect. He gave them to us in places that is prone to have weeds and prone to have difficulties and prone to have struggles. I mean, the, the, the garden of the world that we live in right now, in our culture, it's got tons of weeds. It got, it's very hard ground. One of the reasons for that is because there is just lots of information for people. I mean, there's just so much information now that people can get. So when it comes to things of God, and even for Christians... That, that there's this constant struggle with all this information that comes in, all these things that we are called to do. We ask, well, what's right? Because you can look up and find all these different answers to all these different questions. We have so much that's available to us. There's so much that is so much information that people don't want to get it right. They don't want to miss out on something. And so there's just all this information overload that comes to people. And the lie that comes with that, the temptation that comes with that, is for us to be very, or for you to get very critical or very cynical. 
Because you don't want to land on something. You don't want to hold possibly to what God's Word says because there might be another option or there might be another interpretation or there might be a different angle. And so there's tons of information that creates sometimes a cynicism, even amongst Christians, or a critical attitude starting out, which makes our lives and the ground we live in difficult. There's also a massive amount of loneliness in our world. It's epidemic. And Forbes magazine had an article on May 3rd about the epidemic of loneliness in our culture. They did a study that said nearly half of Americans, 46% of Americans, always or sometimes feel alone. 47% of Americans always or sometimes feel left out. And 54% of Americans feel that nobody knows them very well at all. It's not just our culture. More and more studies have been coming out the last couple years about the loneliness epidemic of people just living alone, having no one to be with them, feeling constantly alone. It's, it's, It's worldwide. In Japan, there's more than a half million people under the age of 40 who haven't left their house or interacted with another human being in six months. It's all across our world, so much so that for people under 40, they said that loneliness, when they asked what's your greatest fear, loneliness is the number one fear of people under 40 today, ranking ahead of losing a home or a job, and many of them are more afraid of loneliness than getting a cancer diagnosis. It's It's epidemic. Some of you might feel that way, feel this, this disconnected or just a, not a connectedness. And, and, and the garden of your life doesn't seem like it's growing. It's filled with weeds. Parts of it is just tons of information. Parts of it's loneliness. And parts of it are, are, are in our culture, there's just, a, a, there's just a languishing. I mean, people are active. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing things, but depression's on the rise and anxiety is on the rise. People are very loud about things. I mean, we're constantly hearing things, and people are loud about it. There's a, this cause comes up, everyone makes noise, and then it goes away, and another cause comes up, and then it goes away. And what happens, if we're not careful, is we just start to get cool as Christians. We start, we, we start to care less about things. We just can't keep up with it all. That's the garden of your life for some of us. And for most of us, we live in tons of information. There's loneliness all around us. People are languishing. And then we are called to take these three great things and plant them in our circle of influence, our garden, and hope to make a difference. God's desire from the beginning is that his people would be a blessing to the world. You read the Old Testament, that, that was always God's desire. In Ephesians, 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, mo- that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of all the mess which is your life, and all the mess that you see around, the Bible says that you, you, you are chosen. You're a, royal, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people of God's possession, that he, that he wants you to proclaim the excellencies of God. That's your call. 
Is that how you feel when you look at your life? If your life was like a garden. When you look at your life, does it feel like a, a flourishing garden of where you're expressing the excellencies of God on a regular basis? And that's what people will see. Is that, is that how it feels for you? So halfway through the year, if it's not, I just wanted to remind you of three great seeds that God's given us that we're supposed to plant in this world. And Matthew 22 is the first one. Jesus is being tested in this whole chapter in Matthew 22, he's got these, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they've come up to Jesus, they're trying to trick him, they're trying to ask him all these questions that are, that are going to confuse him, because they, 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 they're trying to t- trick him up. And Jesus answers all these questions, and then it comes to the last question, this is like the, the, the strike one and strike two, and this is the third attempt. And so another Pharisee steps up to the plate, and he says, okay, so I'm going I'm to ask Jesus this question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is a, it's not a bad question. There was 613 Old Testament laws that the Jews had to follow. And they would talk about this kind of stuff regularly. Which one's more significant? Which one should have the, the most meaning? And so he asked Jesus this, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he took Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he said, this is, this is the great commandment. This is, this is the first seed. What you're called to do, and what I'm called to do, is to love God with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds. That's the greatest commandment that God gave you. That's the seed that he handed to you. With, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Is that planted in your life? Is that how you're living your life? Have you planted that where you are, you're saying, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not perfectly, but to the best of my ability, I'm striving to live, to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. The way, you can, the way you'll know if you're answering that question in some ways correctly is it's really how you see yourself, how you picture yourself before God. Matthew chapter 5 talks about the Beatitudes, which is, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We've taken these Chicago trips for the last couple of years. We'll go up on a Sunday afternoon a couple weeks ago, we went up to Chicago on a Sunday afternoon, and we, we got up there, we, did a, we went to a tent city, set up a cookout. Then we went down to, it was raining, and went down to Lower Wacker Drive. We pulled up to Lower Wacker Drive, and I'm, I'm not sure if you can see that picture very well, but we've been to Lower Wacker Drive a lot, but we had never experienced so much loneliness, hopelessness, and despair as I had that time. And this is the worst-case scenario of someone we came across. All these men in Lower Wacker Drive this time, usually there's people there, there's, there's people laughing, talking, but this a couple weeks ago, nobody was laughing, nobody was talking, and everybody's just sitting along by themselves the whole strip. And so we pull off to the side of the road, we hand out stuff, and we came to this guy, I don't know if you, and he's, he had his head down. We get out to try to talk to him, and I just said, hey, would you like a sandwich? Is there anything we can pray for you about? I couldn't understand a word he said. 
But as soon as I said to him, is there anything we can pray for you about? He just stuck his arms out like this. And I tried to pray for him. Then we got back in the van, and we looked, and he was still sitting there like this. His jeans are shredded. His body's a mess. That's a broken, poor, despairing human being. And you will know, if you're following the great commandment of loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, if you look at that guy and you feel like you're better than him in some way, or that you deserve better, or what's wrong with you? Why did you spend your life on drugs? Why did you let this happen? How did you end up this way, sitting in Lower Wacker Drive with hardly any clothes on, on a Sunday afternoon. If spiritually you think that you are better in some way than this, you're not loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Because in God's eyes, left to ourselves, this is what we are. Our sin is like filthy rags. There's nothing in us that would compel someone to desire us. But God in his great love for us, he came to us. And so when God calls us, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit who see that they've got nothing to offer God, and they, but they, they hear what God has to offer them, and they respond to it in love. And they say, this is what God rescued me from spiritually. Not just physically, not just emotionally, but when what Jesus did for us on the cross, if you, if you followed him, he rescued you this from a worse spiritual condition than that. And we just come to God with unbelievable, amazing grace and say, God, I give you my life, my heart, my soul, my love. Is that, is that, is that, that's the seed that God asks us to plant. And some people say, love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. That's hard. It's only hard. It is difficult. There's challenge to it. But it's, it's hard if we don't see ourselves the way we really are, as broken and help us in what God did to us. He says, come. He, he went to the gutter of our lives. And he said, I want you. I'm going to come and I'm going to die for you. Is that the desire of your life to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Has that, has that, has that seed been planted? Is that what you want as a teenager? That God can have my life? Or as a parent of toddlers running around driving you crazy? trying to figure it out. And you can say, God, I, I just want you to have my life. And I will love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. Or an empty nester. Or an employee. Have you planted that seed? Whatever mess the garden of your life might seem, where you said, above everything else, you rescued me, God. I owe you. I, 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 it's sheer grace. So I, I will love you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. Not perfectly, but it's my desire with great integrity to do that. Has that been planted? And then he gave us a second great seed. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, 22, this is, the, this is the great and first commandment. And then he said, and a second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I think the second seed, the first seed is just this great 
commandment. I love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second seed is just this great compassion. Jesus said in the Good Samaritan, who's your neighbor? Your, Your neighbor, Jesus expanded the definition of a neighbor from just a fellow Israelite for the Israelites, someone who's close by them, but he expanded it to anyone near and even to one's own enemies, the Bible says. Matthew 5, says, But I say to you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, this, this unbelievable compassion. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story right before he goes to the cross. I mean, the last one of the last stories he told his disciples. He comes up to them, and he's talking about the, the, the final judgment, and he says to them in Matthew chapter 25, for, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did I see you or hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You can say with all your heart, Yeah, I've planted the seed that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. But he also said, Hey, here's the other command that goes with it. Great compassion for people. The least of these. That's what we're, we're, we're called to do. In, 1990, in 1961, there was a MIT meteorologist named Edward Lawrence who, who, who came up with this, 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 discovered this thing that he, he labeled the butterfly effect. That, that if there was a seemingly insignificant change someplace, it could create an unbelievable difference in the final results somewhere else. This is what great compassion can do. This is what great compassion can do. If you plant the seed of great compassion in your life, in your little garden, your little area of the world, your little circle of influence, your little plot that God said, this is where I want you to live. He says, here's the great commandment. Here's the second seed. This is this great compassion. Do you have that? Do you have great compassion for people, the least of these, in just little ways? I mean, sometimes it's really easy to get in the church van and go to Chicago on a Sunday afternoon. And have compassion on homeless people for me. It's harder to get back at 9 o'clock at night and have compassion for the people in my own house sometimes. This is what we're called to do. To plant the seed of great compassion. And small acts of love and compassion done for little people, Matthew 25 says, has huge realities. Brittany Schlaubaugh, who was Brittany Futrell, Jeff and Jackie's daughter, grew up in the church here. She's husband's youth pastor in Iowa. I was talking to her mom and dad, and I talked to Brittany this week, and I heard the story. She's a manager at Dick's in Burlington, Iowa, Dick's Sporting Goods, and she was saying that there was uh, kids, these junior high kids, these boys, that would, they would come in, and they would steal from her all the time, and they would take these headbands. And so... She got these one day, they, a couple months ago, they, were, they, they came in again, just a whole bunch of them, and so she was on the, the, the radio, someone said, hey, they're coming, so Brittany went outside, and this little kid comes out with all these headbands in his hands, 
And she said, hey, you got to give those back to me. And so he, he gave her back the, head, the headbands, and she said, I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to, you know, just if you hand the hand, give them back to me, we'll, we'll, we'll call it good. So he handed them back to her, but she said, hey, but because you were stealing and have been stealing, you can't come back to the store anymore. And all his buddies were still in the store. And so she said that she went back in, and after a little while, all of a sudden she heard the screaming. Everybody says, hey, this kid's making much noise outside. Well, he couldn't come back into the store to get his buddies and all his friends. The ride was coming. So Brittany goes out there, talks to him, and says, you can come in. I'll let you call and wait inside with me. So he starts to walk in with her, and he says to her, his name's Mookie. He says to her, he says, I'm sorry. I have real bad anger issues, and sometimes I can't handle it. This is a kid from the rough situation. Not a good family life. She knew that when she starts talking to him. So Brittany starts talking to this kid. And she starts talking all about life and encouraging him, and he's waiting there. And they start responding to her. And eventually they leave, and she goes, hey, you can keep, you can keep in contact with me. And she invited him to come back and talk to her. As long as she's at work, she, she could come see him. She didn't think they would, but, but they did. And they've been coming back when Brittany's there and talking to her and encouraging her, and she's been connected with them. And Brittany said this. She wrapped up her text to me. She was like, I know they haven't changed right away. But I do know that a seed has been planted. That's the second great seed that God's given all of us, is great compassion for people that could do us no benefit. These junior high kids in Burlington, Iowa, can benefit Brittany in no way. And the people around your little garden that you think have absolutely no influence, they can't benefit you at all. Those are the people that God has said, have great compassion for. Have, have compassion. Is, is, your, is that what characterizes your life? Have you, have you planted that? Is it growing? It, love is sacrifice. Is your life primarily characterized by collections of things? Your time, your talents, your treasures? It's just you collecting stuff. That's your life. You're going to collect a bunch of stuff. Or is it characterized by just compassionate generosity? You're just, it's growing in you. You just, you're, you're trying to give it away to people. Or is it all about collecting? Jesus said, to the least of these, you're doing unto me. And so he gave us the seed of great compassion. And then he went to the cross right after that account. And in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of it all, Jesus is getting ready to go back up to heaven. And he says in Matthew chapter 28, 18 and 19, and Jesus said to them, all his disciples who had ran away from him had just left him and abandoned him. And then he, he rose from the dead and he, he revealed himself to them. And he came and it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The third seed is Jesus left to go back up, and he is the Great Commission. 
This is what he left us with. He, says, he said, hey, love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's, that's the first one. Have great compassion. That's the second one. Those two things go together. And the Great Commission is in just go out there and, and tell everyone else about me. It's the, the Great Commission. But look what he did. I'm just going to give you a few words because you're going to have to do homework on all these for the rest of this week. But here's a few words to think about when it comes to the Great Commission. Look what Jesus said. Who he collected. And when they, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I mean, his disciples left him. They abandoned him. He died, rose from the dead, and then Jesus has come back to them, and he calls them, but he's, he's got a bunch of people that you would think that by now they knew who he was, that they were totally into him, but they're not. They're, they're people who saw the scars, and some of them still doubted. They're still struggling, like some of us, with what is God's will for my life, or what have, what's God doing in my life, and, and that's who Jesus collected. That's who he collected, and, at the, and that's who he said at the core, this is the core of why I can collect you. Because he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God, Jesus has all authority now. He has absolute all authority over everything. So as you watch the news, as you look at your life, as you look at the garden of your life, and you're totally confused by it, and you're frustrated by it, and you think, is God in control? He is in control. All authority has been given to Jesus. That's the core. And so then he just says, because of that, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go. Because God's with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. So go and make disciples of all people. Your life is not your own. Your life's not your own. So go and make disciples. And that's the course. It's making learners. It's, it's helping other learners become learners of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's a learner. Where we just continue to learn together. This is, is this your identity as a church? It's a, it's a corporate thing. It's where, where it's a slow process. I mean, some of you do have toddlers. And you're trying to teach them how to go to the bathroom. And it's a struggle. And then you have to teach them how to read. And then you have to teach them how to write. And then you have to teach them how to leave you. It's a long process. And that's what God's called us to do. That's what he's called you to do. The Great Commission is come alongside people that are difficult or hard, that maybe can't owe you anything, that can't help you at all, and help them like love Jesus and help them become learners and plant that seed in the garden of your life, and you can do it with confidence, because I am with you always, he says, to the end of the age. There's never a place you're going to go. There's never a place God's going to call you where he is not with you. God's called you all the way, and he says, I am with you all the way to the end of the age. Those are three great seeds. The great commandment, great compassion, and great commission. Those characterize your life as a follower of Christ. Is, is that what you've planted into your life? Is that what's growing out of the garden of your life? People would look at you and say, yeah, that guy, that, that, she loves Jesus. There's great compassion. They're helping other people. That, that's what they are. They're discipling church. That's the garden that we've been given. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and there was this, it's about David's mighty men, the whole chapter of David's mighty men. In verse, chapter 23, there's a guy named Shema, who is one of David's mighty men, and it says, 
And next to him was Shema, the son of Eji, the Heretite. The Pharisees gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of vintels, peas, a pea patch. And the men, men fled from the Philistines. But Shema, he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. This is a guy who took the seeds of what he was given. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in the pea patch, which is his life. And he's going to defend it and let God work a big victory. Are you doing that in your own life? If you look at your life, and it's a garden, and it's a little pea patch, but are you standing in it with great love for God, great compassion for people, and a great commitment to the Great Commission? Because there was one who was greater than Shema, who came into our lives, came into our little patch of peas, saw we couldn't help ourselves, and Jesus came for us, lived the life we could not live, and he died the death we deserved, and he rose again so that we can have life. How have you been handling these seeds that God has given you? The great commandment, the great compassion, and the great commission. The second half of 2019, are these things growing in your life? 